Good morning. <laughs> hey, thank you, Pastor Nick. Where'd you go? Somewhere. Yeah, there you are. Okay. Um, for the invitation to speak again today. Uh, wow. My normal speaking frequency at this stage of life is once every two years. <laughs> Yet it's been less than two months since I last spoke here at Calvary the Hill. <laughs> um, and speaking in October was particularly meaningful for me. I spoke on Reformation Sunday. It's a day when Protestant churches all over the world commemorate Martin Luther, uh, his clarion call of salvation by grace through faith alone, um, when he famously nailed his 95 theses to the University of Wittenberg's chapel door, sparking the Protestant Reformation, which here we are 500 years later, were, were fruits of that. Uh, and it's a message that still echoes uh, today uh, and it's in your current sermon series in Colossians, Jesus plus nothing, you know, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Um, well, today's scripture text and message is offered in the context of a different occasion, a pause, an intentional pause, not only an interruption of your current sermon series in Colossians, but also an intentional interruption of your normal patterns of daily li living to participate in a season of reflective preparation called Advent. It's a tradition in the church that, that's over 1,500 years old, observed every year the four weeks before Christmas and joined in by countless other churches throughout the world. And as Pastor Nick reminded us in his introductory sermon <clears throat> on the Advent series, we celebrate the first Advent to prepare us for the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We practice in miniature what the church has been doing for 2,000 years, slowing down to make space in our hearts for fresh wonder and awe on the incarnation, on the birth of the one who is fully human and fully God, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And it's an opportunity for us to enter into the biblical story. And today we're entering into the biblical story. Um, well, this, this, the Advent season, we're entering into the biblical story with Mary and Joseph, with Elizabeth, with the shepherds, the Magi, with Simeon, pregnant with expectation and eager anticipation that the retelling of these seemingly ordinary events thousands of years ago will again stir faith, rekindle hope, and inspire love that will truly win hearts in our troubled times today, just as the gospel has done in the past and promises to continue to do. So, so today we'll be entering into the story of Mary and the angel Gabriel. So turn with me in your Bibles um, or on the screen or um, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And in the Pew Bible, it's uh, page 855. Now, I've invited my dear wife, Lynn, uh, to come up front to read the passage. And while she comes up, I wanted to say a couple of things. 
as preface for today's sermon. First of all, my sermon today is heavily indebted to Scott McKnight. He's a professor in religious studies at North Park University. Lynn, you can come on up. Um, he published a book in 2007 entitled The Real Mary, Why Evangelical Christians Can Embrace the Mother of Jesus. And secondly, we're indebted to Anna Taylor for the slide of Mary on the screen up there. Thanks, Anna. Um, the title of the painting is The Annunciation, and it's painted by Henry Ossawa Tanner, in 1897, after returning to Paris from a trip to Egypt and Palestine, Tanner created an unconventional image of the moment when the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she will bear the Son of God. So Mary in this painting is shown as an adolescent dressed in rumpled Middle Eastern peasant clothing without a halo or other attributes. And so, and if you see the shaft of light there, that's that's Gabriel. That's the depiction of Gabriel. Okay. So Lynn, come and read. But what do you got there? What did you bring? I didn't ask you to bring anything up here, did I? <laughs> well, I would like to offer this little delightful piece of artwork, which you have probably not seen because it hangs in our house. <laughs> this was done in the early, uh, I'd say, 1960s by um, our preacher, who is age six. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd, it was very early and gone. <laughs> so our scripture, Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. <clears throat> he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me 
according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Let us pray. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet, inspired a treasure of wisdom and knowledge. This cornerstone is Christ Jesus, your son. So grateful for these stories that we can enter into that hold fresh um, wonder and awe to us as we unpack them, as we learn more about what it was like today for Mary when this startling announcement came to her. Oh, Lord, help us as we reflect upon this scripture that um, its meaning might be applied to where we live our lives today, in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our jobs, or in situations where we're without jobs and seeking work, with our neighbors, with those who we disagree with in our political and social institutions. Lord, just uh, all these areas, will thy, thy word penetrate in a way that stirs hope, inspires faith, and love. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, the first Christmas was full of surprises. Mary was a young, poor Jewish woman from an obscure village called Nazareth when the angel Gabriel startled her. Perhaps she was sleeping and news came in a dream. Perhaps she was in a room praying alone or outside meditating by a stream of water. Somewhere, somehow, the angel appeared and brought Mary the news that she had been chosen by God to be the mother of a son. And not just any son, mind you. <clears throat> no, her son would be the son of the Most High, the Davidic King of Israel, the long-awaited Messiah. And even more surprising is that she would conceive miraculously. God, by his spirit, would create a miracle in her womb. But perhaps the biggest surprise of all was that Mary consented to God's plan. After the angel Gabriel shared the good, God's good news, she consented with the simple spoken words, let it be. Let it be with me according to your word. Now, according to Scott McKnight, we have two things working against us as Protestants when it comes to understanding statements like let it be by Mary. Not only have we generally ignored her, but we have stereotyped her as a Christmas figure. Let's take a second look at the events that led up to the first Christmas. Think about it. 
When Mary said, let it be to the angel Gabriel, the inner seams of Mary's life were ripped apart. Mary's let it be to Gabriel occurred months before her I do to Joseph. On that day, Mary heard the strange news that she would conceive out of wedlock as a part of God's plan. For an engaged Jewish woman, that would have been, that would have been not only a great surprise, but terrifying. That's not how God or Jewish law worked, and that's not how society worked either. To be a Jewish woman and pregnant before marriage, it meant wagging tongues, claiming they would eventually find out who had been with Mary. And it's clear from every reading of the Gospels that Joseph, now her husband according to the Torah, knew he was not the father. She would have been labeled an adulteress. And in the midst of village gossip, there was a practical legal question. How to determine if a woman was guilty of adultery in disputable cases? She could be subject to the public humiliation of a trial. There's more to what Mary instantaneously knew, and most of these things we have learned from Jewish sources at the time of Jesus. She knew that villagers would taunt and ostracize her son. She'd hear the accusation that he was an illegitimate child and that he would be prohibited from special assemblies. She knew, too, that Joseph's reputation as an observant Jew would have been called into question. She knew he was legally required to divorce her and that he could legally leave her stranded, which would make life financially difficult, raising Jesus alone. That was the real world of Mary. No sane, intelligent, pious young Jewish woman, and Mary was all these things and more, could avoid thinking these very things. She must have wondered if there was an easier way. Mary would never have a normal life again. Yet, in Mary's real world, and are we ready to be surprised if not amazed, this young woman, in faith, utters those courageous words that changed history. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Walking around Galilee was a young and special woman who seemed ready for the extraordinary vocation God had called her to perform. And I wonder how many young and special women and men are walking around Seattle today who are ready for the extraordinary vocation God may be calling them to. I wonder how many young, middle-aged, and later in life, men and women, of course I point to myself about later in life, right? Yeah. Men and women here at Calvary the Hill this morning who are ready for the vocation God may be calling you to. When I was a young adult, I wrestled a lot with my sense of calling and vocation. 
I became a follower of Jesus in college. And after graduation, I told my dad I wanted to go to seminary. Well, my dad was in business, and I had majored in economics and math. And he told me he wouldn't pay for it and that I should get a job <laughs> in business and get a few years of work experience before I got additional education. So I followed his advice, and I'm glad I did. My first job was in downtown Seattle working for a large Fortune 500 co corporation wearing a business suit every day. Yet it was in the soil of the business world that God's call upon me uniquely began to unfold. And part of that unfolding was taking one seminary class a quarter while working in business. And one of the papers I wrote was entitled, A Sense of Call, where I did a scripture study comparing the calls of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, you know, the major prophets in the Old Testament. And when I was preparing this sermon this past month, that paper I wrote 40 years ago came to mind. I immediately noticed Mary's first words of response to the angel Gabriel. Here am I. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. In chapter 6, Isaiah is caught up in the presence of the Lord. He saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne with the train of God's robe filling the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, Isaiah was in the presence of God. He had taken time out from his hectic life. And it was in the presence of God. He then describes how unclean he felt, his experience of being forgiven. And then he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And notice, if you, if you were to look it up, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. The conclusion of my paper surprised me. Yes, each of the Old Testament prophets I studied, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all had very significant dramatic calls to ministry. But in the New Testament, it was all of God's people called to ministry. Women and men, young and old, from all walks of life are called to ministry. We are all called to extraordinary vocations, uniquely tailored to who we are and how God made us. The question then isn't, are you called? Rather, the question is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Like Mary, are you allowing the advent of our Lord to interrupt your life? To disrupt your normal patterns of daily living, creating space in your hearts to reflect on what 
Jesus Christ has done with fresh wonder and awe so that you might hear and respond. Here am I, Lord. May I suggest that the message for us this morning is that Mary can serve as an example of learning to follow Jesus in the real world. As Mary's life was uniquely personal, so is yours. The question is not, how can I be like Mary? But instead, what can I learn from Mary about living my faith in the real world? See, the real danger is in making Mary a super saint. Yes, she was special. I agree as the mother of our Lord Jesus, but she was special, and I heard this in the prayers you all shared today, because she trusted God. She trusted God as an ordinary woman with an extraordinary vocation and an ordinary faith who would struggle through the realities of learning what kind of Messiah her son would be. There was so much Mary didn't know. Just like when we exercise faith and trust in Jesus, there is so much we cannot know. And Mary especially had to come to terms with the difficult reality that the Messiah's mission, unlike her expectations, that Jesus was going to die for others. Her son. Likewise, we are not called to be special super saints, you and I. Yes, we are all special, beloved children of God. And if you go to the lane for your retreat, you will hear that message over and over again about how beloved, and you'll soak in that truth, how beloved we are of God, no matter what we have done or where we have been, what has happened to us. And like Mary, we are called to trust God. We all must learn how to follow Jesus in the real world in a way that does not burn us out. Living our own lives, in our own families, in our own worlds, in our own vocations, and trusting God without always knowing where it will lead. There's a wonderful song first recorded and released in 1991 entitled, Mary, Did You Know? And I would like to invite you all to listen to the lyrics as I read them and to hear and reflect on all that Mary could not have known when she responded in faith to the angel Gabriel, where she said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? 
Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know? Did you know the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again? The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Mary, did you know? We're going to enter a time of response. I love, um, I love that question. You know, does God have permission to interrupt your life? Does he have permission to surprise you with what he might call you to? And I love Mary's response, not just in consenting, because Jamie's right, the, the seams of her life were ripped apart. And this life that God called her to was not easy, <laughs> not even close. She witnessed Jesus' death. And so, you know, someone called to that level of suffering for God's glory could easily enter it uh, and be resentful. <laughs> God, how could you call me to this, you know? But that's not what her response was. If you read just a few verses later, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She accepted this vocation, which involved suffering. And she saw through the vocation to the vocation giver to the one who called, to the character of this God. And she knew and trusted in his goodness. And so as we respond, I want us to not just ask the question, are, are we interruptible? But who are we willing to have interrupt, interrupt us? And do we truly believe he's good? And if we don't, tell him. Confess that, lament that. Speak that to him. He can take it. And so we're going to enter a time of singing, um, but also prayer. So James and Heather, come on down. And you guys will be up front uh, available. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're, you're carrying a heavy burden, perhaps God has called you to a, a life-altering vocation that you didn't choose. And you want prayer to be able to bear that well. You know, the angel promised Mary that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and accomplish this thing that she couldn't accomplish on her own. And we equally need the Holy Spirit to overshadow us. The power of the Almighty 
to help us with these vocations, with, with all vocations that God calls, calls us to. So if you're someone who, who wants and needs and desires prayer this morning, uh, come on forward during our time of singing and receive that from James or Heather. And then if you're a believer in this Lord and Savior that was in Mary's womb and was born as a baby and grew up and ultimately was born to die, um, communion is here. The Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted before he ascended to the Father and said that this is what we are to do as his followers. We are to remember why he was born. He was born to die. He was born so that his body might be broken for you. He was born so that his blood might be spilled for you. And so if, if you've entrusted this, your life to him, uh, come on forward during our time of singing and you can partake of, of communion. Um, but for the rest of us, let's just be reflective and let the Lord interrupt us.